I don't know what drives me more. I don't know if it's the fear of failure or the need for success, but whatever you have, that's your fuel. You take it and you use it, right? And who cares if you're scared or excited or anything, you just need fuel. So let's just start with whatever you have and uh, we'll we'll take it from there. Cool. Let's start with uh, the landing pad for luck because it's fresh in my mind. Right. But you can tell people what, what that was and what happened. Right, right. So in a previous episode... Uh, JK had mentioned to me, he gave me some value. I gave him some value and he really wanted to give me value back. And he left me with the landing pad for luck as a golden nugget. And what that is, is, uh, you spend some time each day to reach out to big, large people, maybe in your space or, uh, adjacent space and just give them value, right? Nothing in return. Just give them value, some advice, something that you think could benefit them. Um, And what you do is over time, if you do that every single day, you create a landing pad for the luck bomb to land in your lap, right? So I took the advice for the first time today and I did it and literally immediately got a response and (laughs) from, from the person I was like, well, I'm saying what, can you say the person or even you can't say the, no, don't say the person because that's kind of lame. I'll say say what what you send them. I'll just say a, a you know an inspira- a big person in in my space that I've looked up to since I was I started entrepreneurship. Um, so I found it pretty cool that that happened, and it's funny because I didn't actually sit down deliberately to do it. Right, I wasn't like I'm going to do this right now. What ended up happening is I saw it on my timeline. I saw a tweet, and I was like, "That's not great." So I just sent it back to him. Was like, "You need to do this, 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 and this." <laughs> and he was like, he was like, oh wow! And then he, you know, sent more questions back. So, um, pretty cool. I, I thought that was interesting that it works. Like, I'm 100 percent accurate right now. I'm one for one. Stuff like there you go. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, man. I like it. I when you have a, a big account, and I don't want to try to sound like a dick or whatever, but people just want to take a lot of stuff from you. They like they want your energy and attention. So when you get someone who is not doing that, it's actually a pretty nice pattern interrupt. And I feel like that is a big reason why it worked because let's face it, this guy is big and a lot of people want to get a piece of him. The DM he gets the most might be, hey, do you have any advice for me? But now it's a pattern interrupt because you didn't do that. You were like, hey, I have some advice for you. And you didn't ask for anything, did you? No, I just said, uh, I, I just ended it with like, hope it helps, like, cheers. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's uh, our one. Did I, oh, I, I think I didn't cover this. Did I tell you about the, the time I bought lunch for a few uh, executives in my country? No, let's hear it. Uh, this is an interesting one. So um, I'm, I don't talk publicly about what I do in, in Spanish in my country, right? Partly because it's, it's just a harder market and also partly because of, of the safety. But I have seen some people, like you said, that are like, uh, they're making more money than me, they're ahead of me. But in some areas, I know a little bit more of it, especially copy. So I did exactly what you told me. Uh, Well, I did exactly this uh, landing pad for luck. And uh, this guy was sitting at a cafe. And I know him because he's been like all over the billboards in my country. And I walk up to him and he says like, hey, uh, you don't know me? But uh, I sold the company for over a million, and I think I can help you with your copy. Just like that. Like, just raw dog it. And he's like, okay, cool. And I got so lucky that time. See, like, this is the landing putt for luck. Because right when he was leaving, I, stu- I like, 
kept him for five minutes, it started pouring. Just so much rain, so he couldn't leave. <laughs> now you're stuck with me, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I started helping him out. And uh, apparently this guy this guy runs a pretty big magazine in Guate. That's how you know it's we're not advancing that quick. It's still a magazine. It's not a website or something. It's a physical yeah. magazine. Yeah. And um, a lot of people want to be in that, right? Like a lot of people in, in Guate especially... A lot of big concrete companies, steel companies, coffee companies. And one time they were going to host this big event on all these executives. They were going to call it uh, Guatemala Guatemala Progresa, as in like we're going towards the future, we're progressing. And uh, all these executives under the same roof, like these are like multi-million dollar companies. They were all going to have dinner. And again, I got lucky, man. Turns out on that dinner... Nobody was sponsoring that dinner. It was that dude, the one I stopped at the coffee shop. So I'm like, can I like sponsor that dinner? 50 of the top executives in my country, can I like sponsor that? He's like, okay, well, how much is it? I asked him. He's like, oh, it's like, it's like $1,200 total. (laughs) Fuck yeah, I'm sponsoring this dinner, right? That's so cheap. Yeah, for everyone, everybody. Yeah, yeah, 50 of the top executives. And I'm like, yeah. We're doing this. So I paid the 1200 and he's like, what do you want? I'm like, all I want, give me two minutes to speak. Right, give me two minutes to speak. So I, I, uh, everybody's eating. Now's the time. I go to the middle of the table. I'm like, hey, everybody, this is JK. He has a message for everybody. It's like, hey. And I, I really played it up here. It was, this was kind of bullshit, right? But it was like, you know what? Right now, I sold my company. I'm really grateful for that, but that's not what I'm here to speak to you guys about. I'm used to speak to you guys about who I was three years ago, because just like you hosted this event for up and coming entrepreneurs, I was sitting in that chair and you guys helped me progress as if (laughs) you guys helped me progress. And now this is my way to give you guys something back. Thank you for everything you've done for this coach. Goodbye. And everybody started clapping, right? It's like, oh, so cool. Yeah. The American dream, whatever. And uh, yeah, that's how it happened. It's just my landing pad for luck in that coffee shop. So if you see that one shot, just take it. But don't take it as in like take something from the person. Take it to give something and eventually that luck comes back to you. It's a good investment. That's a, if, if you adjust that to like uh, Miami, that's a $15,000 dinner. <laughs> you said yeah. 1200 I'm like, 1200 Hell yeah. I know, right? It, it's, it's like the opportunity of finding these like this positioning places like there's places where you can position yourself which you're gonna get so much bang from for your buck right like um you paid 20 bucks in exact paid like it's like one mcdonald's meal per person (laughs) oh i know right yeah it's it's incredible yeah it's great so there's a lot of hidden opportunities in which you can exploit uh your your resources I'll, i'll i'll tell one more about this and i've told this often Right. So uh, I don't know if this is appropriate, but it's a podcast. So ah, fuck it. Uh, they're like in Western media, Asian dudes are usually like the weaker or the nerdy ones, at least when you and I were growing up. It's always the one that gets killed. And, you know, you're just a nerd. But in European media, that didn't happen, like Eastern European, especially. So like Asian men tend to be like, they're like exotic. They're like different. They tend to be like more respected, and I'm Asian, right? So I try to get trying to get a girlfriend in my in my country is a little bit it's a little bit harder. 
right? Because there's other Asians, or even in America, because it's like you're competing, and it, there's that like, like stigma around Asian dudes. You go to Eastern Europe and you're Asian. I'm just telling you, man, it's gonna be very nice for you. It's the positioning is different. Same effort, but people are just stare at you. You're doing the same thing, but where you stand changes a lot of the results you get. This is why I don't get when people complain or when they brag about, um, hey, I, like I got 10, 10 Miami girls, right? I got 10 Miami girls. I'm like, well, I got a one Miami girl, sorry. Like, yeah, I got that. Well, with that same effort, you could have got <laughs> 10 times the results somewhere else. You had to just do it in the hardest place in the world. Right. You know what I mean? So just uh, a little bit of, um, of a sidetrack into positioning. But to I'm I'm happy your landing path for luck worked, Marcus. That's what I want to say. Well, by the, the interesting thing about it is I I think it works. It's it's easier for people, or once you make it out of that beginning grind set, like the ninety nine percent level. Like I, it, it kind of reminds me how people say every millionaire says their first million is the hardest, right? Um, and I think that comes with the same territory where it's like after you've kind of made it out of that like zero to 10 or 20 or 30 K a month, you can kind of step back from just grind, 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 take, take, take from everybody you interact with. And you're able to give and kind of play longer, longer games. Right. And I think it's interesting. Cause like for me, I don't really market that much anymore. Um, but my network has probably 10 X since I stopped marketing. Right. So it's just like, I don't really need that many clients. You know what I mean? So I'm not actively just pushing for clients. So I'm able to spend more time doing like landing pads for Lux. Um, so so what's your like? What's your day look like? Like distribution wise, what do you do with your day? Yeah. So typically, well, since mind you, I'm in Bali, so my time zones are not normal. But um, I typically wake up at between five to six thirty a.m. Sometime between that time, natural. Um, my call schedule is like seven to nine a.m. So I have a two hour call block where I'll potentially have like client calls. Uh, I used to have a ton of sales calls, but I don't anymore. Um, so typically calls then, then I go to the gym. And then when I get back from the gym, I have like probably a three to four hour deep work block where I'll do some sort of project, editing, client content, ideation, research, systems, like anything that's deep work oriented. And then um, I'll probably chill for like a couple hours, go to the beach, pool, lunch, whatever. Um, my calls typically ramp back up at like 6 p.m. my time up until which is now up until uh bedtime which is 9 9 30 and i do it all over again <laughs> yeah pretty dude you're talking about some people's dream you realize that so people are like i want that yeah yeah it's uh it's funny Did that ever hit you yeah it's funny i talked to a guy uh on a sales call but he was like oh you can only take your business so far on a laptop I'm like, I guess, but you could take it pretty fucking far. <laughs> pretty yeah. fucking far. So, uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I have, yeah. A, I have, a, I have one nonsense. Oh, you can go, and then I'll say, I'll tell this. Yeah, like I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to be here forever. Right? I'm only here for another three and a half months. But uh, I definitely would never sit here and be like, my business didn't get worse while I was here. It's only, I mean, we get bigger month over month since I moved here. So I can't say, I'm not going to say there's a direct correlation, but. So do you work less or more? It's I work more now that I'm here because we've kind of built our day. We built our whole system around work. So uh, down to like the foods we eat, to the training session times, like everything's built to 
help us scale business. So that's why I work more here. So American Times of it is what you're saying. Yeah. And it's just like, we have, we've just outsourced everything that's not business. So like I have personal trainer and we order out every, every, every meal. So it's like, uh, there's really, there's no distractions. Yeah. Nice. I like it. What, what were you saying when I wanted to interrupt you? I don't, I don't remember. Laughing in a far. Yes. Yes. So, um, you could take it pretty fucking far. I'll tell you that much. So there's, I have one Twitter subscription. I don't like anybody else's stuff except for one Twitter subscription. His name is Andrew Wilkinson, and he's a billionaire. And he said he's running his billion-dollar business from a laptop in a cafe. He goes to the same cafe every day. It just works there. And that. he did something that I really like. By the way, Twitter subscriptions, it's like you can pay. What is it? You can choose your price now, right? You can I, choose the price I, for his like standard five bucks, but I believe you could drag it longer. Yeah, so this guy charges like, I think it's like 30 Right. Anyway, I joined the description and he hosted a Zoom uh, Ask Me Anything. And he said two things that firstly, yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's really good. Yeah. And he he posted the recording, by the way. So if you subscribe, you can still request access to that and watch it. I, I think, I think. Um, yeah. But he said, he said two things that I really, really liked from that AMA. It was like an hour or so. The, I'll, I'll lead with the not-so-interesting one, and then I'll tell you what I thought was the most interesting one. So the not-so-interesting one was when somebody asked him, how do I hire for my company? And to him, the answer was so obvious because he's an operator. What he does is he doesn't... Uh, no, he, he's, he's an investor. He's not an operator. He hires operators in that business. And he said, my favorite way to find people to run the business is to hire from their top competitors and pay them more. And I thought, oh, that's a, that's a smart one. Like instead of, I see a, there's a time and a place to hire VAs, of course. There's a time and a place to hire cheap talent. But sometimes you want expensive talent, right? We have a customer success manager. She's kind of expensive, uh, near six figures a year. It's fucking awesome. Like it's really, really good. And we couldn't get that from a VA. So sometimes you want to go more expensive talent. So that's that's one. And the second thing he said that I thought was really cool. This guy had dinner with Charlie Munger and I think Buffett, right, for maybe five or six times. And they asked him, what was the main thing you learned from having dinner with uh, Munger and Buffett? And to me, this was so cool because it confirmed something I wanted it to be true. Remember when I told you that I don't change my opinion on people? If somebody's a loser, I'm just like, oh, they are born a loser. And if they're a winner, I'm like, oh, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna die a winner. You know what I mean? So what this guy learned from the dinner with Buffett and Munger was that you can't change people. You just can't. Like if someone is some way, you just cannot change people. People are one way and it's like to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Like if you're from the SaaS background and you go into the agency background, you're going to want to try SaaS things. Same thing with agency in other areas. So you can't change people. They're just the way they are. So you might as well just get someone who comes as a default like you want them. And personally, I thought that relief so much stress for me. I was like, oh, great. It's true. You know, it's interesting, interesting about, the, first of all, that's quite an interesting take to hear from them. Um, I think it's interesting because I, when I hired uh, my team, uh, maybe like a few months after they joined the team, I made them take personality tests and we are all, so one of my writers is the exact same, and the other one is three out of four. Uh, Which one's yours? Which one's yours? I, I'm an INFP, so uh, 
this intuitive introvert feeling and prospecting. Um, and both of my writers are INF. So now I'm just like, I'm, I'm going to make that a default standard for hiring writers. Cause now I'm just convinced that you have to have that as a writer. Cause it was natural. Okay. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a choice. Here you go. Here you go. You want to, you want to hear some people that are your type, by the way, this is an excellent exercise. I, I do enjoy it a lot. Look for INF, uh, your, your type. This is a Myers-Briggs personality test and then famous people. This is like astrology for dudes. We're geeking right now. And I did it for myself with anime characters. I'm that guy. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm the coolest ones, by the way. I'm my favorite ones. But for you, you are uh, INFP, famous people. You're Johnny Depp, William Shakespeare, Heath Ledger. That's a good one. J.R.R. Tolkien, Edgar Allan Poe, Tim Burton, Kurt Cobain, and Audrey Hepburn. And, and you named a famous poet, Edgar Allan Poe, the most famous writer of all time, Shakespeare, a method actor, Heath Ledger, and an actor, Johnny Depp. So you named four key traits for ghostwriting. Oh, nice, nice. We're clipping this. That, that, was, <laughs> <ours. laughs> that was good. Interesting, right? How yeah. It has happened to be too. My um, many family members, uh, my girl and Ryan, my business partner, they're all the same. I think it's I N T J. Like they're all the same. So maybe we're just attracted to a certain type. I haven't met anyone from my type, by the way, because we run away from people. That is something we do. Not me. I can find ISTP and like like that. I'm an STP uh, certain. Yeah. <laughs> I've always thought this was going to be a good uh, app idea. Having an MBTI personality test dating app. I wanted to be like, oh, that's going to be my business if this ever doesn't work out. But it already exists. And honestly, I think it's it's kind of a good idea. I, I think it's cool. I liked how school integrated it into their thing. If you didn't know that, school has it. Uh, you put it on your profile next to whatever your bio is. They have your, you put your MBTI. Um, I like it. I think it's better than astrology. <laughs> I think astrology is more like you're born with it. Whereas MBTI, you have to actually answer questions about your, you know what I mean? How, see how astrology, you're kind of just like born with it. So I don't know, whatever. I'm fighting for my life here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know much, but I'll tell you what, once I have this, I bet this, uh, this girl that was like super into astrology and there's like your, what is it? Sign, but Sometimes they can read, we call it carta, I don't know how you say it, but it's like you go deep into what time you were born, right? And I know it's designed to like make you be like, oh, that's totally me. Like astrology is like, you're a strong and independent person that fights for what they care about. It's like, oh my God, so me, bro, so me. But she was telling me some shit, man, that I'm like, oh my God, that is so me. <laughs> I, I fell into the funnel. She got me into the funnel. I got to say that. You mentioned school. Yes. You mentioned school. You want to talk about Sam Evans? Did you listen to that episode with uh, My First Million? No, I didn't get to listen to it yet. Oh man. Okay. Well, we're gonna get in. We're gonna get into that. But what uh, you said? Oh yes, you wanted to share something about school. No, I was gonna. I was gonna transition. So let's talk. Let's talk the Sam Evans podcast episode. Sam Evans is so shy. He looks shy, or just I don't know if that's the right word, but he's like. I don't know. You're looking for like, uh, uh, I think you're looking for something between introverted and reserved. That yeah, that is that is kind of the word. At some point during the podcast, 
Shan was trying to get something from him, right? And like he wouldn't give. He's like, do you think you're weird in a certain way? He's like, oh, I sure I am. And then just, Shan's like, would you mind sharing because we're in a podcast? And then he's like, okay, okay, hold on, I'm going to stop fucking around. And then he said it. They asked him, what is one thing that disappoints you from this digital marketing thing that you didn't like? And what he said was, you know, one thing that disappointed me is that this money facade actually works. Like me putting on the suit, being in a Manhattan apartment with so much money, that actually works. And that was honestly kind of, I didn't like that. Because he's not like that. He's not that guy. He's kind of playing a character. You know what I mean? When he does that. Uh, by the way, for everybody who doesn't know, Sam Ovens built consulting.com, made like $36 million a year at its peak. Something like that. Then he scaled it back. Now he is the founder of school. But he's super shy. If you look at him, he's like incredibly shy. This British accent dude is like kind of low key. Uh, but he said, I'm really disappointed that this actually works. The Lambos and the, and the flashy stuff actually does work. And I didn't like that. That's what he said. Yeah, it's the truth. And, you know, it's interesting how he was able to make that work so, like so against the grain of who he is. And then he transitioned to basically who he is, making a completely different business model in software where he doesn't have to talk to anybody if he doesn't want to. Um, but I will say the guy who took over consulting.com is actually quite interesting. I don't know if you've seen Rian Doris. He has some really, really good YouTube uh, videos. They, they just started taking his brand serious, but it's... Uh, they're talking a lot about biohacking, which is a great transition into Brian Johnson, which I wanted to talk about. Um, but uh, Rian Doris acquired consulting.com and they're taking it in an interesting direction that I think is more aligned to that personality type. But now, as you can see, Sam is on more on the introverted side doing a SaaS now, which is pretty cool. What is one story you have seen, maybe from the Sam Ovens, that will be kind of an interesting insight, or the other guys, Ryan Doris, that might be an interesting insight? So with Rain, the Rian Doris one that's fresh in my mind is how to use caffeine efficiently. Um, and they're friends with uh, Andrew Huberman and they've worked with like the Navy SEALs and all these. Wait, what, what does biohacking have to do with consulting.com? Well, so this is the, it's not consulting.com directly. Rian Doris is also uh, the head of Flow Research Collective, which is a productivity. It's actually a, a whole, it's like a whole info business based around helping you achieve flow state. But it's like a very scientific approach. They're partnered with like Stanford. They've worked with F1 and all these people. I'm going to butcher it, but it's pretty It's pretty legit. Um, and they did a video on caffeine. And I talked to another guy about it, but it's uh, really good. Like a great way to use caffeine effectively, which is I like it because as you can see, 90% of what's out there, 99% is either pro-caffeine or anti-caffeine. No one has that middle ground. And we talk a lot about nuance on this podcast. And I really like that they were the first people that produced science-backed content about how to use caffeine correctly. It's so not, how to use it correctly. So I'm going to go off memory here. Um, so for them, they said that the key nuggets here are to take one day off a week to let your system reset and one week off per quarter off caffeine completely. Use caffeine 30, I think it was 90 minutes, but technically at least 30 minutes after you wake up and don't use it 10 hours before bed because the sleep, nothing's going to be better than good sleep. So 10 hours before bed, no caffeine. And then your first dosage, which should be at least 60 to 90 minutes after you wake up, one day off per week and one week off per quarter. And then your actual caffeine dosage is 
how you feel based on it. You don't want to be too jittery or you don't want it to be ineffective. So you have to see how many milligrams works for you best. So for him, it was like 300 milligrams for some people is a hundred. For me, it's a lot. So, um, what's a lot, what's a lot, how many do you drink? Uh, I drink three a day, three coffees or three. I think I take three to four espressos a day, but sometimes it's like two espressos in one cup. Right. So, um, that's a lot. That's three. Yeah, that's not that. I order them, but you're there. You're there. Fine. You're there. Yeah, it's not bad. It's like I order one when I wake up, so it usually gets here about thirty to sixty minutes after I wake up, and then we go to the gym, and then after the gym, we go sit down for like a breakfast, lunch, and I'll eat, and I'll order a coffee with that, and sometimes, often, I order a third one. <laughs> you order coffee upon waking up. You don't make your own coffee. So we have a French press, but we don't have a puree. We don't have a cappuccino machine or, or a coffee drip or anything like that. I, the Indonesian. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, okay. the problem is when we French press. You know what? This is not important for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I want to know about, about the French press. Why, right, messing, why can't you make your coffee at home? So we have a big French press. One, it's okay. like annoying to make. Uh, two is when you make it, we get so much additional coffee. But we don't have a microwave, so we don't we can't heat it up after. So we're just wasting coffee. So we're just like, so we're just like, it's so much easier to just sit down, start working, and have the coffee just delivered, hand delivered to me, made with oat milk or whatever I want. Oh damn. Okay. Well, have I told you about my Polish experiences with coffee? Did I tell you about this? I need to hear this like saying cash. What is happening with this like saying cash cappuccino, and how did that happen? Oh, there's a there's a. There's like a special machine that you, it's like a cappuccino, but the machine kind of engraves whatever you want on the coffee. So it's usually a selfie, right? They give you a phone and I'm like, can it be text? And like, yeah, great. So I just ordered my thing and I took a picture of a likes and cash coffee mug. It just, the tweet goes that I went to the faraway land of Poland, right? And I was asking them, hey, can I get a cappuccino? And you're like, sure. Would you like to pay with cash or card? I'm like, I don't have any, but one time I had a post that had a thousand likes and then they gave me that coffee, the likes and cash one, right? So it's, it's kind of this gimmicky thing. It's kind of this meme thing I have going on with the audience, but <clears throat> that's essentially what happened. But I'm in eternal beef with the Polish baristas. I just, I'm just going to throw it out there. I hate how they treat me at Polish baristas. I'm just going to throw it out there because have you ever tried to like looked into how hard Polish is? It's fucking no. impossible. It's the, it's fucking impossible to learn Polish. It's so hard. Even they, when you try to speak and you mess it up, they're like, it's okay. It's hard. Don't worry. And you learned English, so you have mm -hmm. the experience to say this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'll go with, um, I, no, I didn't. That's, uh, we, we don't, we don't talk about that. Okay. okay so <laughs> I, I wanted to order black coffee, right? And I'm like, hey, can I get a black coffee? But I'm like, I'm in their land. That's kind of lame. Let me learn how to say it in Polish. So I got an order of black coffee. And they're like, oh, great job. And I'm like, yeah, I got it. Next day, I said the same thing. Hey, can I get a black coffee? I said it in Polish. They're like, great job. Which size? And they say it in Polish, right? I'm like, fuck, I don't know. Like, can you say it in English, please? Like, which size? Okay, great. Come back next day, because I learned how to say size, black, and coffee. Can I get that, please? And they're like, oh, great job. Would you like some sugar with it? Oh, fuck, okay, how do you say that, right? So I learned that. And finally, bro, after like six or seven loops of this, like, do you want a lid? Which size? Oh, would you, 
would you like it from Brazil or fucking Cambodia, right? So I'm, like, I'm learning all these things. Finally, I learned all the nuances to coffee and I go and order, hey, can I get a coffee? Black. Uh, I ordered a decaf. I even ordered a fucking decaf. And then can it have this much sugar and X, Y, and Z, right? And I'm like, I nailed it. And I look at her like, what's up? And she's like, good job. Would you like caramel or chocolate syrup? <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Done. I'm done. Every time I go to Polish cafes, I'm done speaking Polish. I will always try to order it in English because I'm just not going to win that game. That's funny. Like okay. That. Transition. Uh, what, what are, what's next for you? Let's talk about I something to, you want. I want to hear you talk about because I have been getting into a plethora of books and I'm, I've finally found my stride on book reading. I'll probably finish this year on double digit books for the first time in my life. Um, but I saw your Instagram story about red notice and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it. What, what was your takeaways from, from red notice? Cause you seem to be uh, quite interested in it. Red notice was one of the coolest books I've read because it, one is a biography and you no, know, that's a key nuance autobiographies and biographies biographies when someone tells you about what the billionaire was thinking eh, that's okay but when the billionaire tells you what he's thinking that's way better so this is an autobiography uh, about bill Browder, this guy who tldr he was really deep into the privatization of russia he's an american or british investor and uh, when russia was going from communist to capitalist they had to privatize the assets that means selling it to the people and he realized early on that they were being given at a 99% discount. So he collected $25 million, just calling, 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 like being on the ground. And what's notorious about Russia is like, it's very difficult to get information from people, especially at that time, because if you gave out information that was that was wrong, it's like they, they could literally kill you. Like it's just a whole different ballgame, right? So nobody would give out information. Eventually he put the pieces together, got that money, and in a few years, turned 25 mil into 125 mil. He made $100 million, made the billionaires out of the space. And then uh, he he was Putin's homie at the time because Putin was rising to power and his enemy were the oligarchs. The oligarchs were all the owners of these companies. So if this guy was taking wealth away from them, Putin was going to let him do whatever he wanted. And he let him do whatever he wanted. But then it like it really... He, he played a smarter move. Then he went to the oligarchs and said, you want me to take this guy out of Joel's uh, plate? 50%. Give me 50% of your company. I think that's kind of how it went. And um, anyway, at some point he becomes Putin's enemy. From Putin's best homie to Putin's enemy, he kicks him out. He kills his lawyer in jail. And it just turns into this huge story of how one dude being in Russia all alone went from nothing to billionaire to activist. And then he passed an act that allowed him to condemn a bunch of people who are being tortured by Russian authorities. Coolest story ever, just cool. But to me, the biggest takeaway was that in order to for him to make $100 million, he didn't do much. He just thought much. What's the difference? Work a lot. Or you could write a trend. He wrote that trend. And I'm not saying, and you and I have been talked about this, like, are we even in the right business model? Like, what's preventing us from creating an AI newsletter and just selling it? You know what I mean? But I'm not saying you guys are in the wrong business model. I'm saying there's trends you can take 
a lot of advantage of he took advantage of that trend he knew what was going on in russia and sometimes that those things happen because you're just in there you know he was just looking at polish and russian companies databases and seeing hey these don't match there's so much opportunity going on like you you are deep into seeing what's going on in, the, in these fights you saw there was a twitter only influencer that was fighting in the ufc or something or like an event and you're like yeah, yeah, yeah. So nobody knows this, right? You know it because you're there. You're just in there. You're in the dirty data looking at the thing. And we're all obsessed with something. We're all obsessed into looking at where the thing is going to go. And I think there's a lot of value in, because we have a certain vision, all of us, we see things a certain way. Where can we apply a vision in which nobody knows what we know? And then... We live in the future and we work from there. Peter Thiel has a quote that says, live in the future and build what's missing. You live in the future and you build what's missing. So because you have that vision for certain things, live in the future of your own thing that feels like play to you because you enjoy it so much and then build that thing. You build what's missing. And that was to me the greatest takeaway of the, of the biography. But I'll let you take it from here and then I like that quote, uh, live in the future and build what's missing. I'm going to, I need to sit down and eat that for one for a little bit and chew. Yeah, that's a good one. Ways to apply that. Yeah. Interesting. I've, yeah. <laughs> build it. I, th I think that's a quote. I, I don't know if that's exactly it, but like it's it. kind of that sentiment. It's kind of what, uh, what Tweet Hunter was. Twitter was going to be big. I didn't know it at the time. I've been open open about this. I got lucky with Tweet Hunter, just being honest. Which was which was why Tweet Hunter growing Tweet Hunter was super easy, but build, building the next business is actually fucking really challenging. Because I thought I was Superman, right? I thought I could build it again super easy, but it's a completely different ballgame when you write a trend and you don't need to work hard. But going back to the Miami Girls point, it's uh, just need to be right. You know, right. I mean, I guess I think. Being right is more important than doing it right. Yeah. If it makes any sense. Well, our thesis is, well, my thesis for my company is pretty much that I'm pretty much just put my eggs in the future of Twitter, right? To become the everything app and hopefully become like a WeChat for America or WeChat for the West. I don't, you know what WeChat is? So WeChat is the application in the East, in Asia and China. Uh, it's essentially their everything app. It's does everything that WhatsApp does. It does everything that TikTok does. It does everything that Twitter does. It's their everything app. It, it goes as much as, and I might butcher this because I'm not in China, but it goes as far as even you can use it for payments. And I only know this because I was in a taxi in Singapore and I saw it on the payment method sign it said WeChat. Um, so it's like pretty sick. So that's kind of my thesis as well. It's like, if, if it's everything, like that's kind of where we're building. So that's why I'm eating that quote a little bit. I'm going to have to ponder. That's a good one, huh? It makes you think. It makes you it makes you stop. What's another quote you've heard that has made you like stop there on your tracks? Um, I've been I've had two quotes that are pretty much the only quotes I ever really reference. Uh the number one would be Likes and Cash. <laughs> no, it's uh, <laughs> James Cameron and it's uh if you aim ridiculously high and fail, you'll still fail above everyone else's success. And that's kind of like been my quote for my whole life. <laughs> I dig that. Yeah. What's the second one? The second one is a, is from an, a fiction book by Stephen Pressfield, Gates of Fire, 
which is a fiction that takes place in the 300 Spartans era. Um, it's fear conquers fear. The fear of dishonor conquers the fear of death. Interesting. Goes hard. Yeah, that one just goes hard. That one's not too, yeah, you don't have to ponder that one as much. That one, yeah, yeah. That one's like, fuck yeah. Like, I'm going to go beat someone up or some shit. Yeah. When when I'm feeling like low on low on motivation, because it happens often, I, I I literally think of someone who I know you have no enemies, Allah, Vinland Saga, but I do think about someone I dislike. I'm like, yeah, fuck that guy, and I start working to beat that guy. Like that is literally my motivation. That was my motivation last night. I was like, the the faster I focus on this, the easier the like the less that person is going to be a problem in my life. Like I use that negative motivation, that negative dishonor, if you will. Yeah, I don't I don't know what drives me more if it, I don't know if it's the fear of failure or the 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 want for the need for success. I think it's the failure part, but um there's no way of measuring it, right? But who cares, right? It's like Alex Ramosi says, who cares? Just like whatever you have, that's your fuel. You take it and you use it, right? And who cares if you're scared or excited or anything? You just need fuel. Yeah. I what one thing I do to have fuel is I put all of my Twitter accounts that are positive very positive not people who share drama on a list i don't read the feed anymore i just read maybe like 10 15 accounts that are like really positive every time i go there it allows me to zoom out and you'd be amazed at how when you zoom out you actually have so much more energy because you're not caught up in the little details it's like when you, when you look at the sky you feel like more energized you know what i mean that's kind of that's kind of how i feel with this I like it. I wanted to hear about your Brian Johnson's pitch because I saw your tweet about it and I wanted you to go and expand on it. I know we mentioned it earlier. I love that. Did, well, okay, so Brian Johnson, real quick, is the guy that looks like a reptile. So Brian is the owner of, he built, he built um, Venmo, Braintree Venmo, and sold it to PayPal for $800 million. Now he runs Blueprint and he becomes, he became the lizard. But I'm talking about pre-lizard Brian. Okay, so the way he sold was he was really deep into like looking at systems. He wanted to see systems and he was into credit card systems. Credit card companies notoriously make payments very fuzzy. They try to mess it up so that like you pay more. And he analyzed that system. And if you look at him, the guy's not like a born salesman. I mean, he looks like a lizard, right? But they asked him, how did you sell if you look like that? You're not exactly charismatic, right? And he said, I'm a big fan of, number one, finding the industry's system. Two, finding where it fails. And three, showing, not telling. So what did he do? He had his credit card company that was just like other credit card companies, except they were not going to lie to you. And they weren't anything much different, but they were just honest about it. He used to go to store owners with $100 bill. He gave it to them and said, here's $100 for one minute of your time. If you don't want what I have to say, if you don't like what I have to say, you don't need to, um, you, you can just keep it. They're like, okay, what you got, right? He would go to those places and be like, okay, so here's, a, here's what's happening. Here's how they're stealing from you. Here's what I can offer. I don't promise much difference, but I promise being honest. And they're like, okay, fine, just just get it done, right? And I'm a big fan of selling that way, especially because you and I, we sell to sellers. We got to find a way to like really make them 
see the value in our product. So if you sell to sellers, this might be valuable. People tend to stop responding to bigger claims like uh, the ultimate, the only, the best, the top, supercharge, right? What the fuck does supercharge mean anyway, right? <laughs> so I've found personally that the best way to sell to sellers right now that's working for us is just showing them the system. It's just showing them and really understanding your industry, seeing where the system fails and just showing it to them, right? That's why we changed our pitch. And actually, this might be interesting uh, for everybody. Well, uh, it'll, okay, so by the time this comes out, that should have already come out. I recorded a video on how we pitch our service. It's full of analogies, full of them seeing how the system fails. So one of our competitions, for example, is uh, growth programs, people who sell story shares or retweets or just boosting. We tell them it's like if you have a shot of espresso, right? I had this shot of espresso, which was my audience. And the growth programs will just kind of pour water into it, and then you'll have coffee. But they'll keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And eventually, it'll dilute your brand. And people might disagree between cold coffee and warm coffee. But what they don't disagree in is coffee. Get it? Get it. So you show them where the system fails. And I show people where that system fails. The same thing Brian did. And personally, I believe that because we're selling to sellers, they know what's going on. They know what you're trying to sell them. And they don't give a shit. Those things about... Uh, this is how you sell the, uh, or uh, just the buzzwords, you know, just the platitudes, not being specific, double your sales, double whatever. It doesn't resonate with them. You got to lead with, this is how the system is failing you. And this is uh, what we do, right? And this has worked pretty well for us. I think that's pretty much the right approach. I think at a certain level, like you said, people just don't really care about your sales tactics anymore, especially when you're selling to other businesses other salespeople, founders, essentially, if you're selling to founders, a lot of the time they, they typically know, like they, they understand the sales process a little bit. Um, so it's a, but there's like a, it's like a balance, right? It's like, I want to balance that. And then I also want to balance like the tried and true, right? Cause there's the greatest salesman who've ever lived will probably stick by the frameworks. And then at the same time, we also, this is a great segue. want to talk about market sophistication, right? If we're competing in the same pool on Twitter, right? Everyone on Twitter has heard the same pitches from the same people. Everyone's using the same frameworks, right? Whether they learned it from a X, Y, or Z, everyone's learned from the same people. It's a pretty small world. So if the market, quote unquote, is aware of those same scripts, then they don't become as responsive to it. And it's, it is much more straightforward if you could just be like, this is your problem. I'm like, here's the solution. <laughs> I might even take what you said to, to a greater degree. It's not that they don't respond to sales tactics. It's that you got to use a different one. When a market is not so sophisticated, you lead with the opportunity. When a market is more sophisticated, you lead with the identification. Identification. I, people need to feel like, how do you say it? Identification. Identification, right? So instead of double your sales, it's like, are you struggling to get leads because you have more than 20,000 followers? How is it that getting to $10,000 a month was really fast, but you can't break past 30? You don't lead with the opportunity. You lead with the identification. It's just a sales tactic. It's just a different level of sales tactic. Interesting. You, no, mentioned, you mentioned you wanted to talk about the levels of market sophistication. Was it on that or was it on a separate a separate topic? Yeah, that was pretty much it. Yeah. Cool. Let's talk about uh, Alex Ramosi, $100 million leads announcement. 
All right, you got you take the lead on that one. Yeah, yeah, I found it. It's super interesting. Uh, the book is one thing. Uh, obviously, that it's gonna it's gonna crush it. It's gonna do very well. Um, I'm interested in a couple things. One, which will be the quicker one, would be uh, he said that they're doing the live release. It's a live event with like over three hundred thousand people registered or something like that. It's a webinar. Um, so it's a live webinar event. It's not quite a webinar, but it's going to be delivered like a webinar, um, where they're going to announce the launch of the book and they're going to do some sort of freebie on top of that. Uh, he said, it's, it's, I don't think it's a freebie. It's a additional thing. Everyone's theorizing that it's a course. I'm interested to see if he's selling a course or what, what it'll be. He said, it's like more than a Chipotle burrito or less than a Tesla or something like that. Uh, Oh, so he's, he's going to sell something there. Well, let me pull up the email so I don't butcher it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because I think it is, it is important that we get that, that get that right. Yeah, you can pull it up. Well, meanwhile, I like that strategy. One thing I noticed was that he changed the colors of the brand. It was like purple, and now it's like blue. Yeah. And so people, people get that. Or something. Oh, smart. Um, so he said... I'll release my new book and something else I've been working on for four years to blow you guys away. It's finally ready, but I can't say more and I don't want to spoil the surprise. Hint, it's more than a gift card and less than Tesla for everyone. So it's a riddle there, but uh, I think it's interesting because if he did sell a course, someone broke down the math to me, which I was like, you're right. It's like if he really wanted to drop a $10,000 course uh, and he has 300,000 registered, like even at a th- hundred thousand people showing up to that and a ten thousand dollar course at a, like one percent or something like that i mean he's going to close millions and millions and millions of dollars if he, without sales calls if he really wanted to right so i'm like is he cashing in we talked about this in a previous pod with gary b and b friends is he cashing in his goodwill <laughs> or will it be another will it be more free value i'm interested to see what he does with that because um i don't i personally don't think he'll release a course it doesn't seem on brand, but I'm all very interested to hear your take or any predictions or anything. I have no idea, man. You know, I've, I've actually been consuming less from him because uh, I, I try to consume more like of the foundational stuff. I've been reading a lot of Hopkins and Ogilvy, a lot of shorts, but not not much from that because Hormozy, for me, I feel like he's almost, not almost, he is too good for my taste. Like, he will say stuff like, this is how I do it. And I'm not saying you should do it, but he'll just make the argument so fucking convincing that I'm like, no, this is how it should be done. Totally. Like, this is how it is. So I'm like, I stopped consuming him, but I respect everything that he's doing a lot. Have you thought about instead of consuming him, studying him? Because as an info, as an info personality, you are essentially in the exact same niche as him, just selling something different, right? So- his, his mode of monetization is much different, but in terms of your content cadence and his content cadence and who you're talking to, the same people. You know what I mean? Every, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Everyone you sell to knows who he is. So you could say that everyone that has consumed a piece of your content has probably consumed a piece of his content. So it could be interesting to con- not consume, but study. Yeah, but I don't enjoy that. First of <laughs> I don't like it. It's just like, so I used to consume stuff and be about how am I going to summarize this podcast into 10 tweet thread? What's the golden takeaway? And it just took me away from the moment. And this past few months, 
like stress has been like really fucking bad. I have like really, really bad. I'm like, I just really feel it in my, in my, in my body. So I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to consume content that stresses me out. So I'm like dialing it back in, not thinking about that, but back to a hundred million dollar leads. I think it's fucking great. Did you see how he recruited affiliates for it? Oh, with the, uh, you can invite your audience to the webinar. Yeah. That, I don't understand. I, I saw that he did, but I don't understand the point. Not the point. I guess the point would be to get more reg- registrar- registrants, but he's not getting right. anything from the, I get it. Now. Yeah. He's just going to get more. It gets more registrants. And then I think you may get tagged as in this guy comes from Marcus's audience. Yeah. And then if, if they buy, they'll give you something or something. I don't know. Whatever. It's going to be a fun one, man. I'm interested to see how it turns out because with, as you saw with a hundred million dollar offers, I feel like the guarantees just got so played out because of it. I think, um, the principles of the book are timeless, but I would say like the offer creation kind of got, uh, gets oversaturated. Like, it got to a point now where you are positioned higher by not having a guarantee, right? I don't think that was the case before the book got popular. So I'm interested to see how $100 million leads affects the market because everybody we know is going to read it. So everyone's going to know exactly what comes out of that book. So I'm interested to see. I don't know what the book's going to necessarily be about, right? But if it's lead gen, I want to see if everyone just starts doing the same lead gen tactics and the market's going to start sophisticating very fast in, in the lead gen in the lead gen space, right? So for, for, for you, right, for example, right, you're coaching people on often a lot of lead gen. So it'd be interesting to see what is introduced and how the market reacts to that, right? Because if it's like, if there's a DM strategy in there, there's going to be 100,000 people doing the same kind of DMs all of a sudden. Right. So right. They'll, they're already using the name follow-up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, yeah we've been getting it. Uh, well, that's not original, by the way. It's obviously not original. Of course. Yeah, but... um. One caveat to that. Yes, it, the guarantees got overplayed in Twitter. But if you're selling concrete to fucking people like Guatemala, they have never heard about that. Of They've course, always yeah. completely innovative, you know? He has said, though, which is kind of interesting, I feel like the loudest supporters of Alex, personally, I think, are people like you and me, right? We're giving him free exposure here. But I think the people who give make Alex the most money right now he said that it's like he has a photography business and a dental business, and I think it's solar too. It's people in industries that do not understand these tactics or those tactics are not so well developed. So I can see why it doesn't bother him. And I can see why it may not be that good for us internet marketers, right? Obviously, it's going to be useful, but people are going to get more sophisticated. But like, are we his target? No. You know, so I think he's playing He's playing a good game there. With the Lar, he has a very great filter built, essentially, right? He's like... It's a humongous filter before people, I think Layla just broke it down in a recent video, like just on the content alone on the surface level, that's filtering out 99.9% of people before they even apply to acquisition.com, right? You have to be a three, three million dollars. And then even after you apply, Layla laid it out. They have like, you have to take like five calls, basically five layers of security before you even get to them. Right. So it's like, <laughs> he has like some. The, the very bottom of that funnel or the very top of funnel would be the book, right? And then, or the content, then the book, then all of everything else. Then you apply to acquisition.com, then five more calls. So like you said, like the book's not meant for the Twitter, money Twitter outreach guys. But Yeah, he doesn't think about that. Yeah. Have you have you thought about writing a book? 
Oh yeah, I've, I plan on writing many books one day, but I don't think I'm as a lead magnet. Probably not. I thought about it. They say it's great. Like a lot of authors, they don't make their money on the book sales. They make the money on speaking gigs they get from the book. It's the truth. I have a. It's the truth. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Um, I am a writer, so I don't want to fall out of love with the writing process. So I don't want to write about fucking Twitter or something. Like I want to write about something I want to write about. You know, like what? Like the power of nuance. I like that one. That would be one. And then, uh, you know, memoir and then maybe fiction. I'll, I think I want to write a fiction one day. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I'm not going to write a fucking how to start a ghostwriting agency. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. <clears throat> Smart. Okay. <laughs> uh, to rub it up, you know how much consulting.com costs, Sam Ovens? Cost? Yeah. He bought the domain. Oh, no. How much? How much do you think? Okay. 300k 300,000 consulted.com was 300,000 domain Razor. powerful yeah they are I went bro I went to Namecheap anybody can do this and you guys can turn it into some side income if you want you can go to Namecheap and you can see bids or auctions for certain domain names I went there for like two hours and I started just scrolling the CSV what are some good domain names and somehow that's how your boy now ended up owning cheapkratom.com. And no, no, okay, that's a bad one. Okay, here's a good one. Here's a good one. I also ended up owning loansbro.com. That's a good one. You got to give it to me. Mr. JK, how many domains do you own? Uh, a shit, a shit ton. I own, oh, you, okay, so I own a few domains. This is going to be facts. Okay, so I own likesandcash.com, I own subsaintcash.com, viewsaintcash.com, and I own if you think likes are cash, you are dot gay dot com. <laughs> you got it for that one? No, like, if, if, you think, if, you think you, if you think likes are cash, you are dot gay. I own that one. <laughs> uh, it's funny to get that. Some facts. I like viewsaintcash. It's also really, it's a really good domain. Um, I also own likesandcash.com. I think you got to do more with those domains. I think the brand has a lot of potential. Oh, you, you bet. All right. Thank you, friends. This was a fun one. What do you think about this one? I liked it. I thought this was enjoyable. Go follow Marcus at itmarcusfreeze. And if you want to monetize your audience, go to if you think likes are cash, you are dot gay. See you. <laughs>